0: Ellie, let's play a game. If I say lambing, you say... Percentage? Wrong. Oh. If I say lambing, you say... Right.
1: Not quite. If I say lambing, you say... Density! density. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, density. But what's so important about lambing density?
0: Well, I'm not a scientist, but the gist that I get is that the density of your lambing use is really important. But before we introduce our guests,
1: let's introduce The Yarn. Well, I'm Ellie. And I'm Ella. And you're listening to The Yarn, a podcast for the Australian wool industry.
0: So today we're speaking to two research scientists on their projects co-founded by AWI, one in lambing density and one in fly genome research.
1: Yeah, so Ella, you spoke with Amy Lockwood about lambing density while I spoke with Dr. Trent Perry about his work in the fly genome space. Before we go into the interviews, could you just give us a quick intro into your chat with Amy? Yeah, so lambing density is a
0: pretty hot topic right now and there's a fair few brains behind new science coming out about the optimal density for lambing use to ensure the greatest lamb survival. A project co-funded by AWI and MLA and in collaboration with some of the best universities around the country, is looking to find the best lambing density to provide sheep and wool producers with the best guidelines to increase their lamb survival. I was in Bendigo for the Best Wool, Best Lamb conference and caught up with Amy Lockwood, a PhD student at Murdoch University who has been integral into this research. Let's see what she had to say. Amy, I wanna know a bit more about your background. How did you get into the wool and sheep industry and why did you do your PhD in lambing density?
2: Um, So I come from a a semi-rural background. I grew up in Albany um, and my grandparents are are beef producers actually. Um, So not much of a sheep background. but always been interested in agriculture, love the the rural lifestyle. Um, So I actually went to Murdoch and studied animal science. um, And towards the end of my my animal science degree, I did an honors project in lamb survival with um, my supervisors over there and really enjoyed it. The the on-farm practicality side of things, the theory going into practice, um, and actually getting some results that, and some data that we could utilise. So I basically went straight on from my honours in lamb survival straight into a, a PhD project, which was yeah, but based around lambing density and lamb survival and some, based off some really interesting findings that um, I learnt about through Jason Trompf, um, who is a, a key influencer in, in, in lamb survival um, within the Australian sheep industry and a very passionate person, which is um, one of my uh, mentors within, um, within my career.
0: Speaking of Jason Trump, we are at the Best Wool, Best Lamb conference down in Bendigo and Jason Trump is a key person in in the industry in in getting this conference up and running. You've just spoken to about 200 people about this research and um, I think a lot of people were really interested. The statistics you show is that merinos aren't as good mothers as non-Marinos. Do you have a comment?
2: Yeah, so merinos, um, typically the survival of merino lambs is about 10% lower than our non-merinos and that's partly related to both the the lower birth birth weight and poorer vigour of merino lambs but also uh, the poorer mothering abilities of merino ewes. So um, I guess part of the the breeding of of merino ewes has removed part of that natural mothering instinct um, which may be a bit more evident in some of our non-merino breeds but yeah they are particularly poor mothers particularly with our twin bearing merinos and often leave a lamb behind or, or just um miss mother so it does compromise survival and you said in your
0: presentation that you decided to look at lambing density of twin bearing ewes
2: could you explain why Yeah, so we're focused around um, twin-born survival because of the the higher rate of of twin-born mortalities compared to singles, and also because economic modelling has indicated that improving the survival of twin-born lambs is the highest priority for improving reproductive performance within the industry. So it's really about how we can um, achieve that economic and um, production benefit through through improving twin-born survival. And it shows through your research
0: that lambing use in smaller mob sizes is more effective in getting those lambs to marking could you walk me through that
2: yeah so from our um survey findings so some best ball best lamb program ran some surveys a few years ago in collaboration with agriculture victoria and we found from those surveys that survival of Trimborne lambs decreased by three and a half percent for each extra hundred ewes in the mob now the current recommendation to producers is that they should be lambing trim ewes between a mob size of 100 and 250 and based on that three and a half percent decrease in survival that equates to a difference in uh, marking rate of just over 10%. So it really highlights a huge scope for improving lamb survival by managing mob size at lambing. And based on um, some on-farm research funded by MLA and AWI, that research has indicated that lamb survival will decrease for twins by at least 2% for each a, each extra 100 ewes in the mob at lambing. So a similar effect to increasing condition score at lambing by sort of 0.1 to 0.2. So
0: for farmers, What do the preliminary findings mean for their management of their use?
2: Yeah, so I guess particularly with our twins that reducing mob size is going to improve lamb survival by reducing that number of lambs being born per day and therefore reducing that risk of mismothering. Um, So I guess now it's about completing our research sites and then coming up with some strategies as to how we're going to implement this on farm and what the cost benefit is um, in terms of reducing mob size to improve survival. So whether or not we actually go ahead and split lambing paddocks or put up some temporary fencing to reduce mob size or whether there's some alternative strategies that we can put in place. Um, For example maybe maintaining or slightly increasing our mob size for singles and reducing it for twins.
0: It was really interesting in your presentation you had a drone footage of used lambing and one you had twins and the other one had a lamb and was in labour for the second but she was being harassed by another lamb and it was really interesting to see because you can see how the mismothering would happen and, and the higher density would mean that that would happen more so.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So those types of mismothering events or disturbance events we expect are going to be at greater prevalence when we've got a higher mob size because of that greater accumulation of birthing fluids and newborn lambs which is going to attract ewes that are close to lambing themselves or in the process of lambing, as we saw from that drone footage um, where that, that ewe was in, in labour with her second lamb and ended up being um, harassed by that, that, that foreign lamb for several hours, resulting in her really prolonging that birth of that, of that second lamb um, and then also lambing on top of another ewe. So there's lambs and, and ewes going everywhere um, and that's this type of sort of chaos that we would expect is going to happen when we've got more ewes lambing per day in um, higher mob sizes. It's really interesting because it's an area where I know a lot of farmers don't
0: have drones to look at their ewes and, and lambs, but it really gives you a good insight into how it, it happens. I assume that you've spent hours and hours and hours looking at these video footages and, and looking at or, you know, the behaviour of ewes and lambs. So this research is really interesting and very relevant for wool growers and sheep producers. Where to now?
2: Yeah, so I guess with this mob size work, um, we've still got a couple of questions that are unanswered. So um, part of my PhD work indicated that maybe there was an interaction between mob size and foo and lamb survival. So perhaps under tougher seasonal conditions or where we've got low uh, foo levels at lambing, that maybe the effect of mob size would be greater. So we're interested in having a a closer look at that relationship and also how we're going to actually implement this on farm, whether we can mix our singles and twins in good seasons. Um, And yeah, Up some strategies and a bit of a cost benefit in terms of how we adopt this or extend it to producers um, so that they can adopt the practice to improve marking rate. Well, fantastic. Thank
0: you so much for speaking with me, Amy. Now, once you finish your PhD, do you become a doctor? (laughs) Uh, I think that's the go Um, we'll soon find out hopefully in a few months time (laughs) well very exciting congratulations on such an amazing project I know that it would have been a lot of hard work and um, looking forward to seeing how you go in the future and and where you end up and also seeing this implemented across
1: Australia thanks very much Ella it's been great to talk to you damn Ella pretty interesting information there Yeah, Amy really did a good
0: job in summing up a very large project and great information for wool growers who have spring lambs uh, about to drop. There's a lot to think about. But now over to you Ellie, you were at the AWI Breach Fly Strike RD&E forum and spoke with Dr Trent Perry. What was this like?
1: Well to start off with, the forum itself was really interesting. There was a lot of wool growers there, uh, representatives, researchers and just so much new and exciting research coming through. Uh, Dr Trent Perry is from the University of Melbourne and he did a bit of a talk on fly genome research that he's been conducting. So the fly genome research, it's just sort of mapping out that blueprint of basically the blowfly, which causes so much problems in our industry. So it's really interesting work that has a lot of potential down the track. Maybe we could make vaccines or who knows, but I'll let Trent Speak for himself about the research he's doing. So here's what he had to say. So you've mapped the blowfly genome. Is that correct? Uh,
3: so we so we've we've taken a different approach to to resequencing the blowfly genome. Uh, that's led to an improved uh, continuity of the genome. And so uh, we're we're very happy that it's at a point where we'll be publishing it later this year as a new freeze of the genome for researchers to access and, and assist with their research projects.
1: So this essentially this. Sequencing Will this be the blueprint for future research down the track?
3: So this, this um, improved version of the genome will, will provide a, a better blueprint for people to work from um, for all aspects of blowfly research. So it will really help to facilitate a lot of projects that can, can get up and running.
1: The Australian wool industry loses $173 million annually to flystrike through treatment, prevention and just production losses. What are your thoughts on potentially developing a vaccine for this in the future?
3: So a vaccine would be a great way to uh, provide provide a new control method and with the blueprint of the genome, uh, with the genes that we're detecting specifically in larvae um, to know that they're present, expressed, and um, understanding whether or not they're going to be available to the host immune system, we really think this knowledge-based approach is going to be the best way to identify candidates that are going to be useful as possible vaccine candidates. There's a lot of work yet to be done, but we think that this way of filtering before getting into more expensive trial work is is going to be a great way to to get to the answer quicker and and hopefully less expensive.
1: You also spoke a little bit about biological control of the blowfly with the bacteria. Could you just speak a little bit about that?
3: Yes, so the Wolbachia bacteria that we found in some of the samples that were sent back to us, around about 77% of the samples that we received from our natural population collection, uh, is, is a bacteria that's being used in other insect systems to control various aspects of of insects. So in the case of dengue fever, mosquitoes have been infected with Wolbachia and it actually leads to a reduction in the, the levels of dengue in those mosquitoes and therefore reduces the transmission of the of the disease. There's other cases where these bacteria can actually impact the biology and the physio- physiology and behaviour of insects. And so if we are able to test a few different strains of Wolbachia from other insects in these uh, blowflies, then we might be able to find a way to, to alter their behaviour or alter their biology that might be beneficial.
1: So would the bacteria be fatal to the fly or would it just cause them to be malfunctional or...?
3: So the bacteria itself uh, is, is able to uh, drive its own spread in the population, which makes it a good and easy way to kind of bring, bring that into the field at some point. But the actual uh, effects of a particular bacterial strain on an insect varies, even within, um, within closely related species. So it, it really is a matter of looking at a number of different strains to see whether or not there are beneficial effects of them. Oh, so. But as a natural alternative um, and as, a, as an easy one that would be um, well accepted for release, um, it, it might be a good way forward as well.
1: Yeah, no, biological control, that would, that would be fantastic if we could get something in place like that. Just quickly as well. A few comments were made in the audience about, at this forum about how far we've come in the past 10 years and they wish that certain technology was available 10 years, 20 years ago. How far do you think we've come in terms of investing in Flystrike and Blowfly technology and how do you think the future of research in this area is looking?
3: I think there's been a number of advances uh, in, in Blowfly research that, that's going to really contribute to um, some solutions. I think the blowfly genome probably stands out for me because I I use it a lot, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think today was highlighted that a number of speakers up there also have already been using the blowfly genome to, to guide some of their research work. So I think that having a blueprint of the blowfly and then all the things that will add on to it Uh, is only going to improve our chances of getting some sort of control for this pest.
1: I think for a lot of listeners out there, this would be very exciting and a lot of information that they might not necessarily have heard before. So Trent, thank you for giving up your time today and having a yarn with me.
3: Not a problem. Thank you, Ellie.
1: So that was Dr Trent Perry from the University of Melbourne.
0: And I spoke to Amy Lockwood from Murdoch University. And they're both working on projects funded by AWI. Well, Ellie, we really do have some amazing scientists working on projects funded by Australian wool growers through
1: AWI. You're definitely not wrong there, Ella. There's some really cool work coming out and I'm very positive but also really excited about how we can potentially implement this down the track into the wool industry. It's a very exciting time in this research space. Okay, well,
0: that's another episode of The Yarn. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can
1: keep up to date and get next week's episode. And please review the podcast on your podcast app. It's really important and we love hearing from you. We love your feedback. It's very valuable. And it will also help other people find the podcast and stay tuned with what's up to date in the wool industry.